What's going on, world family? Welcome to season three of Journey in a Mindset. I have a special, a special, special guest today. Harmonica Jimmy's with us today, and he's going to tell you a little bit about his story. I found his story to be very, very, very powerful, and the way that I was connecting to him was awesome. So if you've seen the last episode of Journey in a Mindset season two, Mrs. Olina's podcast, she is the one that actually connected me with Mr. Harmonica Jimmy, and I think that his story is simply amazing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take some time to just step to the side and for full disclosure we all got COVID tested but we're still going to practice social distancing so I'm going to take this time to step out of the camera because I really think that his words and the information that he's going to give is so powerful and although I'm grateful to share this space I want you guys to be able to have that intimate one-on-one -on -one with him so without further ado Mr. Harmonica Jimmy how are you doing today? Uh I am fine, and most days I'm feeling very great. And then, use Monica Jimmy, I'm also known as Mr. P. And that name I picked up when I started teaching about 20 years ago. Mr. Palmaro is my last name, so the first letter P, and all the teachers will call by the first letter of their last name. So, so I'm fine, I'm good, I'm happy to do this, and uh, I'll have a lot to tell you. You lead, you lead the way. So let, let, me, let, me, let me start off because um, one thing that stood out to me about your story is that you never gave up. So the challenge that came your way, and I don't want to be the person that tells your story, I want mm -hmm. you to be able to tell your mm -hmm. own story, but the challenge that wound up coming out of something that wound up happening to you, you kept an open mind and you stayed positive. And when I asked you over the phone, how was your mindset? You was able to explain like, listen, I, I didn't look at it as something that I was gonna mm -hmm. let hold me back. I was yes. gonna continue to move forward. So before we get deep, deep, deep into that, mm -hmm. if you don't mind sharing, what is something that happened to you at a certain age well, that changed your life forever? What Donald is trying to say, okay, and I'm gonna tell you, you don't know this yet, you may not, how can you tell? I am blind, all right, I'm blind. I found out I was going blind many years ago. I am 64. When I was about 24, and I'm a Brooklyn kid from Cobble Hill, not far from here, played ball, went to school, have a college degree in television and radio. About 1980, 24 years old, I am noticing vision problems, okay? Peripheral vision, vision to the side, high and low, night blindness. When you shut the light, my eyes didn't adjust. Something is going on. I would play basketball, running down court. I had to turn my head to see what the follow was. I don't know what's going on. And I was flashes of light, happening like floaters, you might say. Light flashing around, what's going on? My father worked at Mount Sinai Hospital. I went there for testing. They put electrodes on my eyes, they dilated my pupils, right? They shot light into my, they mapped my retina. They sat me down, and these are the words I, I heard. You have retinitis pigmentosa. First time I ever heard those words, right? And it's short RP. What is it? It's an uncurable, untreatable eye disease that leads to blindness. You are gonna go blind. I was 24. It didn't devastate me, even then. Okay, this is, this is life. You know, people go blind, little children get cancer. Somebody, everybody, you, Olina, who's sitting over there, in life you will be faced with things. It's how you adjust what you do with it. I had just met my wife-to-be just about that same time. I tell this joke, she blinded me with her beauty. I'd better say to people, but all right, it is what it is. I, I'm a Catholic, strong Christian faith. Jesus carried crosses. Well, you're going to get your cross someday. You, you might, you're going to get more than one cross. I didn't even look at it as that. I said, it is what it is. Got married, had children, but it did change my life course. I was a television radio major. 
in school. I wasn't going to be able to do that. So I worked at the post office for 20 years. Had children, worked at night, slowly losing sight every year. Less and less peripheral vision, glare problems. I'm not telling you this to complain or in any way or so. That's the facts of it. But I had my children, and I taught them and their friends. I always wanted to be a teacher. When I went to Brooklyn College, where I graduated, although I graduated with television radio major, I started out, I wanted to be an English high school teacher. You had to take English and, edu and education, a lot of majors, I just television radio. I always liked visuals and audio visuals. I thought I might be on camera or behind the scenes or write things. But when I was diagnosed with this, I could never go take that pursuit. So after 20 years of raising my children, by the year 2000, I had to stop working in the post office. It was just too dangerous to walk around. I was starting to use a makeshift cane, one you would use when you have a bad, a sprained ankle. And I, I, was, I was going to work at night in the dark, which is actually better than in the day because the glare was even worse. They told me, you better retire, Jimmy. It's time to retire because you, you're going to get hurt. So now I come home, and my wife said, Jimmy, you're going to teach. You've taught your son, Nicholas and Andriana. You've taught their friends. You've gone places with them. Even though you're losing your sight, you can go teach. I went to my son's junior high school, a few blocks away, and asked the volunteer to teach there. And the principal said, sure, we see you when you come with your son. And I slowly incorporated myself into the course of the day, teaching all subjects in a junior high school. So that's, so in the mindset, I'm a positive person. I'm blessed. I was blessed in my childhood, living where I live, my family. Things happen, I'm not, gratitude you're gonna learn in this message to you. Okay. I do that as one of the most important messages. So that's my mindset to be thankful. We always have things to be thankful for. And the, and the blindness, I'm gonna say this now to you, and you'll never understand it, in many ways is a blessing more than an uh, obstacle to use or something to overcome. It has led me to teach what I always wanted to do. Then it led to music and poetry and meeting people in the last 20 years that my life was nothing more than astounding and amazing. So it's a blessing. And some of my poems reflect that. I'll tell that. So it's a mindset. And uh, is it easy? No. No. I miss my house sometimes coming home. I need help. Needing help is not a bad thing. You take help and you give help. But I got to teach children, and that has been an amazing thing to be taking part in, working with kids, and then the music that's come into my life, the people I've played with, and the poetry, I don't know where that came from. Even though I loved language, I wanted to be an English teacher, I might have wrote a poem or two. I didn't write this many poems until I lost my sight. And I always say the reason why I picture things in my brain, metaphorically, so I don't see them visually, I have to create. Mm. And the creative process started. Mm. I'm waiting, I'm talking way too much right now. No, Let Donald no, no. lead us the way he wants to go. That's some of the story of the mindset. Th that, that, was, that was deep. And um, I'm, first of all, you, you never go on too long because I, I pulled <laughs> okay. so much out of there. And one thing that, um, okay. that you said that, that, that struck me is, um, is you keeping a positive mindset. How? No, because you're somebody that, that, let's say, for instance, right, somebody younger than you more so um, around the age that you went through what you went through. Yes. They're trying to keep that positive mindset, but yet they're looking at it as, you know what, I'm not going to be able to see again. So mm -hmm. the people that I love, I'm not going to be able to see them. I'm not going to be able to see the beautiful things that I used to enjoy. How do you keep that mindset? <laughs> How do I keep it? As a, I don't, I don't, it's hard to say. It's a philosophy. What's better, pining over it, complaining, uh, waking up and, and, and uh, uh, what's the word I use? Just keep on repeating it and focusing. I don't see the point in that. And I, I, it's not me. And I say, okay, this is what it is. Let's, let's go from here. Now we're going to take this, you know, the lemonade thing. 
People give you lemons, make lemonade, right? And, you know, so yes, do I miss? Do I miss my children's face? Do I miss colors? Yes, yes. So I'm not going to sit there and lament, oh, I don't see red today, I don't see blue. Why? Who, who, who benefits from that? I'll take those colors and tell you in a poem what red means mm. to you. Mm. You see? Love it. Why it's like this, I want to go back to Christianity, but that's what, what is Christianity, but the idea of uh, resurrection and redemption? That's the story about Jesus. He told us how to, how to die, how to live after we suffer difficulties. But I always thought this too, and Jim Carrey talks about this, the comedian. He saw his father working a job he never wanted to do in all his life because he thought he want, I want to do something I want to do and do, and maybe fail at it, but he said, I want to make people feel better. That was my mission in life, Jim Carrey says, to ease people's suffering. And I always felt that. When I was a kid, I, I used tape recorders and comedy and humor in my family because, you know, every family has their issues. And I saw I can make my mother laugh. Or, so I, I, I was now had a chance to use the things that I, I guess, preached or lived and use it on myself. And I never wake up depressed. No, I, I don't know. I, not, I don't, maybe I have a lot of what's that, serotonin. <laughs> yeah. it's, I don't know. So maybe God said, now, this is something I do believe, right? Again, if this is a God, maybe you believe in God. I'm a cat. I said this. It was Christmas Day, maybe about 20 years ago. I knew now this blind thing was going to come through. It was, it was near the end where I had to come home. I, on Christmas Day at the church, St. Augustine, near here, after Mass was over, I walked up to the aisle and said, this is what I cried and God, whatever it is you have for me, I'm open to it. Open me up to it. The spirit. Whatever it is, I will take it and go do it what you want. And that's when the poetry and the music and the people I get to meet mm. happen to come. Mm. So it's, if you want to see a Holy Spirit, I'm telling you right now. Mm. It's in all of us. If it's not religion, it's religion, spirit, you're going to get sick. You're going to get hurt. Your mind may go, but your spirit is never touched. Mm. That's the message of Christianity. Mm. Your spirit will oh, never, man. ever... Neither many people tell you stories. You remember Christopher Reeve, who was paralyzed? Yes, yes, I remember. Did his spirit die? No. Uh, there's a story. Did his Tuesdays with Maury, who was man who was dying, yes. out, who was a teacher. I read that book. Yes, with the, 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 and really that story wasn't about the teacher. It was about the guy who came, the, the reporter. He was the arc. He had to learn from Maury that he never gave up. Whatever his physical body was doing, his spirit was never touched. Mm. So that's that's the message I have for you. Your spirit cannot be touched, but you got to nudge it along and. It's, it's a mind, I look at the triangle, mind, your mind, body, spirit, the spirit's already the top part, your spirit rises up, the mind and body come together, you come like a straight line, you, you're, you're, you're in elision, you know, you're like the, uh, the planets in alignment, so your spirit can take you, and it, it happens, music can do it to you, you hear music, you're lifted, right, poetry, these aren't physical things, they're not money, nobody's, <laughs> it doesn't cost a thing to write a poem, or hear a poem, or play music. So your spirit is non-material. Do, do, do you connect poetry and music to your soul? <laughs> yes. I still early. We were getting ready for this. That poetry is like praying. All right? Praying. Yes, to my soul. And I'm telling you lately, I am writing a poem a day. I don't know where it's coming from. Maybe I have more time during this virus. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit again. But it's clearly soulful. Yes, poetry. I ask anybody to write poetry. Write it. Don't have to share it. You can keep it to yourself. Your ideas are going down there. But it's letting your spirit like, hit a button. Like, it's flowing out of you, what you need to say. To me, again, I like the language, so that's part of it. The craft, that, that's a skill. That comes, I don't know how that comes from having the ability to speak. Part of it is being blind. I gotta speak all the time when you're blind. I gotta tell people. I've taught children, you're gonna hear that story. 
If you talk to a five-year-old child, you've got to choose the right words that you talk to a five-year-old child. Mm -hmm. so they understand you. I used to have a, a lady from, a lovely lady, Vinid, Haitian woman who came, took care of my mother-in-law, who lived here when she was at the end of her life as a home attendant. How do you explain to someone whose English is a second language? You've got to choose the right words. So you develop the wording, and you should learn as many words as you can in your life. Everybody. Because if you want to express who you are, don't get the crutch of repeating the same words and catchphrases. You, poetry is the art of picking the nuance of an exact meaning of a word and crafting it to say exactly what you want to say. And don't you want to say what you really want to say? Mm. Who you are, what you are, <laughs> with the precise words, and trying to crutch words through, and then not being understood, because at best, we're hardly understood exactly for what we say when we talk to people. They're going to get something, but they're going to get their own experiences. They're going to hear it differently. So try to be as pre precise. I wrote a poem called Words years ago about words, how they depend on the listener's ear at the end, you know? Okay. Yeah. I, you, you've sent me quite a bit of your, your poetry, and I'm going to tell you right now, I love it. I write poetry myself, but I, I don't, I write it, but I don't express it. So I write it and keep it in the book and put it in the closet and that's where it stays so I yes. don't express it. But um, your poetry touches the heart because your poetry, one, is, is something that is very, very, um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't just say unique, it's, it's real. So you're not, you're, you're, you're talking about topics about one growing, two students, two, the, the, po the poem mm -hmm. that you sent me that I liked the most was the one where you um, talked about your blindness, becoming blind. And that might have been uh, it was like one of the first nighttime ones. revelation. Yes, nighttime revelation. That was the the, okay. the second one you just sent me. Right. And the reason why it stood out to me, that poem stood out to me the most, is because to me it gave me the picture of what things were like for you as you were transitioning right. from seeing to to to, um, to blindness to not seeing. At least, at least not seeing uh, with my eyes, right? And <laughs> It, I don't know, man. It, it just... It, it you know what I say? I use this phrase. If I ever write my book, this is going to be the title, Losing Sight, Gaining Vision. You said, if you ever write your book. Yeah, uh, it might happen, but man, I'm so busy right now. Yeah, but but these poems will be in there. this book. We got to put it out there. Losing Sight, Gaining Vision. All right? Mm -hmm. uh, again, I didn't write the poetry before I lost my sight, so I had the propensity to do it. All of the idea of being blind, the skill, the, the idea of it, seeing the world in a metaphorical way, brings out the words. Wait, that, so poetry was before... Oh. No, after. I, I, I liked it. I went to college. I studied uh, the romantic poets. I always loved to hear poetry, Robert Frost. I love it. Lyrics of songs of poetry. But by 2001, when I come home, then the poems start coming. Now, that poem, uh, you know, I wanted to tell my story. Some people lose their sight in one day. Oh, I don't know what's worse. See, if you lose it in a day, you got to adjust from one day seeing, next day you don't. I lost it over 20 years. That's why the opening of that poem says, I didn't lose my sight in a day or week or month a year. It just slowly slipped away. But now my vision is more clear. So by losing it every year, that hurts too because when you did one year, you can't do the next year. It's like slow cuts, you know? But I'm, I would say I wouldn't trade that. I'd rather lose it this way than waking up to it. I don't know how, how to handle that. I assume I would have done the same thing, but it's a little different. But you know, oh man, I used to play ball with my son. I can't play catch anymore. I, I can't follow the ball. So that's <laughs> little drips. It's like torture. I can't yeah. touch like that too. So that's, that poem came out of that. It begins like that. But the last line of that poem is the kicker. Can you, can you, do you mind sharing it? The entire poem? If, if, as much as you want to share with it. 
I'm going to try to do it because, you know, here's the other thing about when you're blind. When you write poetry and you're blind, you don't write it down, right? You record it mm -hmm. on a tape recorder. Or you don't record it, you just say it into the recorder. And that poem, I'm pretty sure I can do. And a few others, uh, Melonian, I'm sitting over there. With your permission, there. of course, I'll, I'll put it so that we can No, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. I pretty much can do it. I do this all the time. Uh, besides writing poetry, I recite poetry. Not just on computer, uh, you know, whatever, on the audio uh, format. In churches, nursing homes, prisons, corner book cafes. So it is a way of, not everybody can recite their own poetry. You saw Amanda Gorman, she can recite her own poetry. Some poets can write it and they read it even. They can't even, I have to remember my poems. So the more poems I write, the more I have to remember. But this one, I think I can knock off straight out because it's one of the ones that, you know, it's solid. And it's pretty clear and it's very personal. I'm gonna take a little shot of water before we go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Like that, you know what, why don't we pause for a second okay. and then we'll come back. Okay, good. All right. Donald asked me to recite this poem. Uh, it has taken a different, first, nighttime revelations, night's revelations. It's about what, well, why explain it before I say the poem. But here it goes, nighttime revelations. I did not lose my sight in a day no week, no month, or year. It just slowly slipped away. But now my vision is more clear. I hear, okay, uh, I'm no longer um, awash in the glare of floodlit scenes. Instead, I focus on life's essences. And each, uh, my perspective grew more keen. I hear the words of others as I never have before. And I learn a peace through patience and gratitude. And each moment means much more. My blindness became my teacher, and his lessons are profound. I learned through touch and listening the depth of texture sound. Um, uh, I face obstacles and, and uh, obstacles and challenges every day. But there are countless things I miss. And if you look beyond my loss, you'll see I've gained from this. Because my life is now more vivid, despite this loss of sight, for the light concealed by the day's distractions, reveals itself at night. Well, that was the poem mostly. I might have flipped up in the middle, but there's the, there's the kicker. You don't, if I asked you to go outside right now, right now, it's dark right now, in the middle of the day, look at the stars. Look at the stars, I'll tell you. You say, what stars? The only star we really know is the sun, right? Mm -hmm. They're always there. But when it gets dark at night, they show up. So what's the metaphor? You have to go through adversity sometimes, a dark period, preach. to see the light. Preach, preach, uh, preach. preach. Now, 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 basketball player, Alonzo Mourning, I heard him say this quote. I don't think it's his quote, but he, he said it, and he went through, I think he had a problem, with, he had to leave the basketball for like two years. I think he had a liver or kidney disease. Adversity in, introduces a person to themselves. All right? Mm. Adversity introduces a person to themselves. So you have to go through a hard time to know who you are. I think your man, Sherman Brown, has talked about it as much. I think Donald has told you his story. You know, what are you going to do? You're going to stay down or you're going to get up? So then you'll know who you really are mm -hmm. when you go through tough times. Again, I use tough because blindness, even though I say I can handle it, it's not easy. It's not easy. I miss things, but I learn from them. And I introduce to who I am and a true, true you comes out of it. That's the meaning of that poem, basically. And I, my life is more vivid and you're going to learn about the, vividity, the vividness of my life whenever, when I start telling you what the last 20 years have been like the things that have come into my life and what I've shared. And I'll let Donald take the interview. Which that, that actually leads me over because I want to talk about the work that you're actually doing. So what are some of the things that you're out there doing in the community? And one of the things that I do love and that you sent me is that you're actually outside in front of your house playing music <laughs> for the community. All right, that's lately. All right, okay, here you go. Jimmy, you gotta retire, you're 44 years old and you're blind. What are you gonna do? 
Oh, my wife said, Jimmy, you're going to teach. I told you before. So where do I go? I go to my son's junior high school, just two blocks away. Thank God I wasn't far away in a train. And I walk into the school and go up to the principal. And I said, I, I want to volunteer here. And this is another side thing. This is where our schools are lacking. People who are retired now with so much to offer in their jobs, when things get back to normal, when schools are open up, they should tap on the retirees to go in there and be volunteers and teach and work with those kids and share what they know. So I wanted to come there to be a teacher because I know I can teach academic things. Teach them more than that too. I'm a blind man going to teach you to tell you can do anything. If I can come here and teach you every day to rain, sleet, and snow like the post office, I'm gonna, and she says, yeah, come and teach. So I started there at a junior high, and for seven years, I started out in what they call the resource room after school, eight children who needed the most remedial help, working with those teachers. Then the second year, I started going into classrooms, history class, sociology, working in the classroom with the teachers, explaining to these kids what the teacher was trying to explain to them, kind of about the chess clubs, theater. So I had that background, theater. That's what I started doing, teaching, seven years. When that ended, I'm not going to tell you that story now. It's a sad story, actually. It's in a poem called Sad Day at the School. Sometimes principals do things they shouldn't do. But that opens a door. Yeah. Right? Door closed at that school. What am I going to do? I want to still teach. So I taught Sunday school still in my Catholic church, right? In the same, around the, in the same block as that school. I, was, I went to a freight sharing thing, and my friend tells me, Jimmy, you're not teaching anymore there. Uh, there's a lady who has a program in our church called Families, Fathers, and Children. They work with children of the incarcerated on Wednesday, on Monday nights. They have dinners for kids. They come, they help out with the dinner. My seven or eight kids, dads are in jail, incarcerated. We have a dinner, they take part in it. I'm gonna go, I volunteer there. With my harmonica, they started to play. And I thought I would teach. She said, no, we're not teaching here, Jimmy. Her name is Ellen. You might meet her later on on the podcast. We're gonna have, these kids are gonna, we'll give them a family night to have what they don't have now is their dad is far away. I started doing that. And that was about 12 years ago, like weeks after I left the school. And that has gone on to a visiting prisons, mm. working with men who are going to come home, having a Christmas party, a Halloween party every year in that same location in Monaco Hall, where children come and have a Christmas party, where me and my friends have played music, recited poetry. It's grown by that. I, I learned about a community that you do not even think about, I bet, unless you have experiencing this. But when you go to school, they don't tell the teachers whose children dads are incarcerated. It's a secret. So, they, and for different reasons, yeah. maybe it's privacy, let my parents share it. Well, that happens, and you get to know when I met these children, I've gone to their prison, we've had parties for them, and what the main point of families, fathers, and children is to keep the bond of family together and make them understand when dad's coming home, make dads feel better about themselves, and maybe the children will follow in that way, and to keep families strong, and that's what Ellen Edelman has established, a, a social worker who I met at, that night, she said, Jimmy, come on, come and do it with me. She was then about 70 years old, 70 plus. She went to like, the social work teaching when she was in her 50s and started that program. Now, number two, still not teaching. Because I taught confirmation, I was working, we have, uh, we're going to meet the parents of some of the children who are going to be sponsored. Another lady says, oh, I have a school. Not a school, I have the school program. In the Wyckoff houses, projects. You want to use that word, projects? All right, four blocks from my house, all right? And I said, I'll come there one day. I want to volunteer. I don't want to take money. I never want to take money. Oh, going back to the one thing about the junior high, I wanted to teach kids on that tough area, that junior high time, when they're going through that transition, I thought I'd be best suited to work with kids at that level. This program is after school program for kids kindergarten until about 12, but it's in a uh, basic recreational room 
in the, in the Wyckoff houses, and I went there. And I started, okay, that's tutoring. 25 kids sit down one-on-one. -on -one. You can hear about this in a, in a Huffington Post story called uh, This Teacher in Brooklyn Can't See His Students because I met a photographer a few years after I started that who wanted to do a story about me and the children, and you can watch that. And it's a three-minute black-and-white video with music and poetry, but it shows the children. If you don't cry, you probably have no where, where can we? Where can they find that? Do you know? Uh, Huffington Post. Just by my, just use, if you just, just say, the teacher in Brooklyn can't see a student, mm -hmm. it'll come up on your phone, on your computer. You can watch this, and you'll get a little story told by the reporter who called me over the phone, not the lady who did the, vi the actual video, Phyllis Dooney. Another amazing story. But you'll get the basics text. Why, do you, the, why do you think it was so hard for you to, get, to land a teaching job? I wasn't, oh, I wasn't trying to be a teacher then. I was going to be a television person. So I was, I wasn't hard. I never pursued teaching at that time, other than my friend, my son, and his friends. Mm -hmm. So I, when I retired, it was not. It was a, I walked in and I was teaching the next day. Because, <laughs> and that, and, that, and his, I never took an education credit. I took, you know, I was a television radio major. I was taking schools in the school of humanities, classics, po philosophy, poetry, film, acting. You know, I there was no need for education credits. But I'm a father. I'm a parent. And I have a natural ability to work with children. When I was a kid, back when I was 20 years old, I worked at uh, Orphan Children uh, program, uh, uh, school, well, actually an orphan program in Brooklyn called St. Vincent de Paul. They had a summer camp, and I was a camp counselor up in Pennsylvania. And my friend worked there. So I worked with those kids. I, was, I worked as referee in basketball. I played ball. That's what I really miss most, if you yeah. want to be honest. Luckily, I played so much ball as a kid. By 24, I had to shut down. That peripheral vision thing, you yeah. can't play sports. But no, I, I have a hard time getting a job. The principal said, come on in. Yeah, and, I, and then, then now at the other program, this is working one-on-one -on -one with children. And you're going to watch that video. Here's the best thing about that. That year when, they, that, when I walked into that program at the, at the White Cove Houses, lady says to me, we've got to put a show on for the children in about three weeks for the, for the program that raises money, Colony South Brooklyn Houses, at the Marriott Hotel on Adams Street. We're going to do that there when they're going to have a fundraiser. Can you do a show with these kids? I said, yeah. I write music, poetry, I play music, I, I, can, I, I, I take acting. So I got 12 children, ages 5 till about 11. Ooh, and for three weeks, we, in the back of a little room, smaller than this room, we put together a 12 or 15 minute show that my son and my, I produced, put together with poetry, music. I used a Miles Davis song, Say What? I used a Joni Mitchell song. Uh, uh, the children go around, and the seasons, they go round and round. One of my poems, City Summers, and the kids acted it out. That's probably Dave, my text. And we did that show, and it was wonderful. People saw it. I have a letter written by the director saying, Dude, this is the, one of the best. The kids felt so good. This goes back to what I did at the junior high. You get kids in acting. I would tell anybody, take acting classes. Not necessarily be on stage someday or be on a movie. You're going to develop skills, listening skills, depending on people's skills. It'll make you more self-confident and self-esteem. And we all need that in life, to be more self-confident. The true you comes out. So that show went on. It was a wonderful show. All right? And, I, and if I can go on stage, I can find things out. Anyway, that, that came out of that, too. <laughs> so we're going to get an exclusive right now. And we're going to be able to, I, I didn't even have the camera. We're going to get an exclusive right now with some music right now. Um, uh, so this is going to be amazing. And I'm just excited about it. So we're just going to let it roll and rock out. This is live, authentic, and real. So I want you guys to be able to hear. Here we go. Come on, 
What's the name of this song? Oh, Celebration. Celebration. Yeah. Yeah. Celebration. You're like, yeah, I think his friend. I'll sit here then. This is probably the first time you ever run into a piece of furniture. Well, right? who put that there? Yeah, that wasn't here. This chair belongs to Andy. He doesn't know mine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll sit here, but I'll be better to work with Dave. Have you heard the one where he? Have you heard the one where he says, uh, "I'm blind. I made a poor decision a few years ago. I shouldn't yes. have done that." No. <laughs> I lose my sound was a bad decision. Now we have to sound as good as a recording that's right, mixed in a We're gonna work. Look, you're gonna hear out. We're gonna hear out that. That's why you put that on. Alright, Donna, you shooting right now? Yep, yep, I'm on. Okay. We're live. We, we're I don't on. know how much time you have left. We're gonna play a few songs, but that piano yeah. is there. Um, we, we could be like about, I'll say like another 30 minutes because I just want to beat the okay. snow. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what but I think. I'll be telling the story.